Hello and welcome back to the Old Pod. In this week's podcast, we're discussing topics that came up in our last webinar, which was the last in our current series on emotional and mental health in the age of the virus. We discussed some of the thoughts and topics brought up by Mr. Aman Kunar on the last webinar. Mr. Aman Kunar is a leading cardiothoracic surgeon. He's had an incredibly interesting journey throughout medicine, and we really enjoyed the webinar discussion, and we thought it brought up some really important topics, and I hope you enjoy them. And to catch the full webinar, you can check out our UOK Doc YouTube page. Link is in the podcast description. UOK Doc is a charity supporting the mental health and well-being of doctors. To help support us as a charity, please check out our text donate options in our podcast description. To find out more about UOK Doc, please check out our Instagram page and our website. This will be a conversational piece hosted by Chris Cherry. I hope you enjoy it. It's worth bearing in mind that these are the thoughts, opinions and experiences of those involved in the conversation only. Welcome to this week's UOK Dog podcast. I'm here again with Mark Timon and Dan Gerrand. Welcome to you both. This evening we're going to be discussing Mr Kunar's conversation I had with him last week. I know you both, well Dan, you know him personally. Mark, I know you had a chance to listen in on the conversation I had with him. What are some of your initial thoughts about the conversation? Uh, I thought it was... Uh, really good to have a consultant uh, from the NHS on uh, on the webinar series because I uh, I think he obviously like Mr Kuna was quite an authoritative figure in his field and quite a renowned surgeon and so to hear him speak openly about other areas of his life and his journey uh, to becoming a surgeon I thought was really interesting. I thought it was really positive about the whole experience he'd had about being a doctor and being a surgeon and I thought that was really nice positive aspect and despite the fact that he's clearly had some challenges on the way. Is he quite rare as a character? Because he came across as very um, well-resolved, sanguine. I mean, that was his that was his position, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, if I was in the industry, I would have been slightly irritated by him because he just seemed like he was just perfect. I mean, he was pretty perfect. I mean, there yeah. wasn't really anything. I mean, it was like everything had led to deeper understanding and insight. Yeah. He struck um, me as a man that was very grounded in his own self and was very, yeah. he knew himself very well. He knew his career. And Did you see him get emotional at any point? I was saying to Dan, I saw him get emotional at one point. Did you, did you notice? Um, I felt that he was quite emotive when he was talking about the challenging experience he'd had with um, an altercation. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting as well when he started talking about the, um, the case where he was uh, triaging people from the London bombings and he recognized yeah. that someone actually, you know, who's very passionate about his job and the fact that his job was to basically bring back people back from the dead or the almost dead. Um, and that case clearly still resonated very strongly with him. I mean, he just came across as someone you'd feel safe with in yeah. that sort of situation. Just yeah. very calm, very, we've got a job to do, let's let's get on and do it. Did, does it highlight, does it make it clearer this, how frequent people like that aren't available? Is he unusual or is he, or is it sort of, sort of, is that, is that a lot of people like that? I think it's a difficult one because I think, I think in, in most hospitals I've been in, you have the, I would say Mr. Kunar is, is un, an un, unusual character and uh, especially as a surgeon but probably in every hospital there is that one character where he's almost acknowledged amongst the team of like you know that's you know that guy 
has reached this point. He's done very well. He's a very good leader. He's very well respected. He's very good to work with. He knows how to control a situation and he's the guy to go to if you need advice. And I think, uh, obviously, I'm actually kind of thinking about, um, I read a straw at my old hospital, Mr. Kuna is obviously more senior than that. But that's that's what I get with Mr. Kuna when I've worked with him. It's It's a very, you know, my door is always open type thing or and kind of in this case it's always been like you can always email me whenever you want uh, about anything yeah those characters are really important i think chris and um i think we've in my career and, and dan's as well you come across people who are inspirational um that are you see as role models and yeah. um i think every yeah. hospital has them every training path has them but they're these people that you could still remember i mean even at school you remember the teacher that stands out that that noticed something or yeah, was a particular had a particular way about them um it's the same with doctors um and it doesn't have to be a consultant there are just some people that have a particular way about them that really stands out and make you want to be better yeah. i think uh, i don't know mr kunar but um from what he you know the way he came across on the podcast and from what he was saying he definitely struck me as one of those individuals i was i thought at the beginning when he he name-checked his family and the dogs, that that was an example of what Caroline Webb and, well, Caroline particularly, you know, you label the thing that you you could, you might be affected by, so you take ownership, you take control of it. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mark yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah. But he just did it instinctively, because I, I thought he had deliberately done it, partly to show how he takes charge of situations by engaging with the very thing that could cause anxiety if he didn't get hold of it straight away but he didn't he didn't seem to have done it consciously but even so doing it unconsciously to me was in a, was in a real a real time example of how you the, the way caroline had spoken about taking charge of things in real time he, he showed us how you do it yeah yeah you highlighted it and you signposted it at the very beginning and um yeah, in fact, he said to me today, you didn't have a clue what going on about that first question. <laughs> Is that because of the way that I asked it? Or, I mean, do, do you understand what I was I, saying? I understand what you're saying. I think you noticed something about his character that maybe he hadn't thought to name before himself. Yeah, I, I would I would have thought even if I'd named it, he would have gone, yeah, that's right. But he still yeah. didn't. Um, I mean, it's interesting because he's clearly doing it instinctively. Yeah. But do, do you know what I mean when I say it's exactly the, an example of what Caroline was saying to to get grounded and focused and take charge, be be knowing something, but but normalizing it and very quickly taking ownership of yeah. it. Have you, have you read these books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. I mean, I think, but I know you love that bit, Chris. <laughs> I think <laughs> that was a very early insight into his character. He. I, I guess he's, he's, I mean, I, I saw, I understand what you mean, Chris, when you are saying that as a leadership yeah, yeah. quality, because yeah. when, when you brought that up, you're like, like yes, it is important to, to recognize possible interferences that might happen to say, this is what could happen and then take ownership of it at the time yeah, yeah. rather yeah. than wait for the interference to happen and try and catch up with it. So important leadership quality. But clearly what he does is very intuitive. Uh, yeah. I mean, he kind of Mr. Kunar is, is what, I had to do a presentation uh, kind of on the behalf of some of uh, some data that we, we collected uh, today. And, it, you know, he's kind of an inspiration on how you want to present and conduct and speak to your juniors um, in a way that he does it with such clarity and uh, confidence and authority and precision. 
he's very precise you know and he will pick up yeah. on something it's a, it's a very surgical thing but he'll pick up on them the most smallest details if they're not right and um to be able to speak uh, that directly and with that level of precision i think you automatically just have you know um more confidence in that person and mr kunar definitely you know he's very kind of direct talking so what's what's the problem in calling him by his first name i don't know like so so one of the consultants actually watched um mr kunar and she 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 loved it um and she she's a she's a consultant herself and she she said to me she was like it was so funny when you couldn't call him by his first name she was like but there's consultants that i will see to this day and i can't call them by their first name yeah. it's just part of the training i think in the way that yeah. we're brought up it's 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 quite old-fashioned and it it's 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 less and less now but um especially of some of the consultants in the bigger institutions that you might hold a, a, a high regard for, it is very hard. Same as, a, you know, at school and calling a teacher by yeah. their first name, you just, you just wouldn't think to do it. It's, it's interesting when you're invited to call the person you're, you're, you're um, relating to as a mister or, or missus or whatever, because there's an investment in uh, hierarchy and authority difference. Because uh, if if you were to call him by his first name, it it changes the dynamic, doesn't it? The power it of it it flattens it a bit, yeah. And it seems like in some ways it's quite important. I mean, just turning it on its head, really, just emotional mental health. It, it's good to have people in positions of power that you actively reinforce in your ways of relating to them. Yeah, either you're seeing as a responsible role model that you can turn to if you need to. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely do. I, I, I find it really hard to call consultants. I call registrars yeah. by their first name, but I find it very hard. Yeah, to call consultants I, I, wrote, um, yeah. I wrote something on this today, a letter for, for a journal today on this, and not, not on this exact thing, but actually calling the consultants by their first name. In microbiology, when I was seconded there, they, they insisted on the first day that you know, the head of microbiology at Patworth Hospital you know, insisted that she, I call her by her first name. and for the first day or two, I just couldn't. And then like everyone else was, I was like, I sound like an absolute Wally. And then she finally, she's like, dad, she's she got to call me by her first name. I think you notice as well, like some teams, are, it becomes more naturally to them others. I noticed in pediatrics where there's a very flattened hierarchy naturally. It's just the way that a lot of them seem to be. Barely any of them won't expect you to call them by their first name. And I struggled with that when I did pediatrics and I still couldn't do it. Um, but almost, you know, everyone was on a first name basis. Um, that was just part of the team and the community that was pediatrics. That's not always a natural or um, it's not always a normal thing in no, medicine and surgery or anything. So what were some of the things that you were, Dan, you said there's plenty of things that you wanted to reference or acknowledge from the conversation. What were some of them? So I thought, I thought he had a, you know, kind of an interesting uh, way into medical school about how, how he was interviewed in a pub and, you know, that was it, uh, you know, and then, and then later he took a year, a year off. Um, and then he came back into medicine. And I think, you know, that's always quite refreshing and relatable because I think a lot of people enter medicine wish they could have a year off or, you know, would like to take a year off and feel guilty or they take a year off after their F2 and to know someone that of his stature did that is, is quite comforting. And I think also the fact that he then, you know, he trained like Chris, I don't know if you caught onto this, but he trained 
and he qualified uh, with all of his medical exams, meaning his MRCP. He, you know, which is a yeah, which is yeah, which is as high, you know, a high level of exam postgraduate examinations. Then he went, no, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do surgery, and then he did his MRCS. But what, what what I'm getting at is that you're always told, you know, you've got to go on this certain road. You you know, two years of your foundation training, two years of your core training, you apply for a registrar post, and then you become a consultant. And actually, uh, life very rarely happens like that because actually, the course of ten years is quite a long time. Things happen to people. Mr. Kunar got injured with his back, by the sounds of it, and you know, he he was unsure at the beginning, um, and then his back got better, and that you know is a is quite a a windy pathway into cardiothoracic surgery. Um, and I think that's quite a refreshing story to hear. He's clearly, clearly quite a driven man. He, he talks a lot about the need to do something and, um, and uh, the fulfillment he had from things. So, I mean, to do all that and then go back again, that does require some dedication. The story is interesting because there's several stages of which he's had to come back from something. And it seems to have reinforced his belief of uh, gaining an authority and uh, confidence. I mean, even the way he told the story about you know, semi-automatic gun being pointed at him, he said it very calmly, very. Uh, but it was full of different edges, you know, emotionally and socially, culturally. I mean, his kind of thing was sang far, isn't it? Like, stay calm, stay relaxed. Yeah, and stay you know cool. that that that's what that's you know. I think he's a great storyteller, and that's some of the feedback that you know I've had. Uh, that colleagues have watched it is that Mr. God, we didn't realize Mr. Kuna was such a good storyteller. So, um, and actually I thought he was right. a good story storyteller, like genuinely thought that this was a really good storyteller. I think that's the, a mark of a good um, teacher and a good leader is, is being able to give a good narrative of something and to bring you along with it. Yes. Cause yeah. It, yeah. every day, like as part of teaching, you have to have someone engaged. And when you're, I mean, Dan, for you in theaters, when you're operating or, on the wards when you're making a complex medical plan you have to be in there with the person who's making the plan or leading the operation and go along with them and yeah i think so so many good points that came up for it i think his was one of the it was nice to have a consultant on there that had so many positive points about the career about the sense of fulfillment um about you know being quite open and frank about you know it, you know, it has to be right for you. Um, and if it isn't right for you, don't feel bad about it sort of thing. And we've talked about it before, Dan, on the podcast and outside the podcast, but medicine can bring up mixed emotions when you're on the journey about whether it is right or not for you. <laughs> and um, and being able to sort of step back and assess that and say, yeah, no, it is, it is right for me or it, it isn't. No, but I, I, I do think that what, what Mr... You know, demonstration. And I would love to have him back because it's almost like he should do a part two. But there was some stuff that was left kind of untold. Like he never, re- he never explained what happened to us back in the Caribbean. Like we never revisited. He, he parked that. And we never re- um, revisited it. And a few people have said that to me as well. And I think that you know, to have his kind of insights into maybe issues surrounding uh, BAME and how he's been treated like that. I know he's very kind of. Um, uh, keen mm. to talk about those issues as well and I think they're really important within the medical field. I mean just in the context of the things that we that preceded him in the in the speakers that we'd had was there anything he particularly said that 
connected you to some of the things that some of the um, specialists that we've had on were talking about. Yeah, I think, you know, the importance of recognizing and talking about feelings, you know, um, sort of being able to name feelings, recognize and talk about them. Talked about his emotional support network, you know, going out and just having a big hug as being an important thing. Um, he talked about energy levels. I think, I think one of the things he was alluding to quite early on when he was talking about energy levels was this whole aspect of burnout um, and sort of maintain your energy. And a lot of the speakers we've had have talked about different ways that you can sort of replenish your energy levels, which I think is really important. He, he, and he talked about, you know, just mentally taking a step back and, and breathing and taking a breath. And that's something that they've all yeah. you know, advised. Yeah, there was a period in which he just literally went through the list yeah. <laughs> of things that they, they, they've all talked about sort of um, uh, finding ways to connect with or do or... But he also spoke, didn't he, about the importance of talking about how you were feeling, finding someone to talk, and not not tolerating, I think, bullying or abusive behaviour. Yeah, I think he was very strong on that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he gave advice yeah. on how, you know, we all, we, Dan, we all, in hospitals, we all constantly told that, you know, recognising that you're in a, a situation where you are being bullied or... Um, you're not, you don't feel quite right about something and who to go to talk to about that and, and how important that is. Um, and that does happen throughout your career. And um, it is important to know who you need to, who you can talk to about those things. Yeah. And I think, I think probably, you know, when you get to kind of his level of uh, 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 in the NHS being a consultant, you know, the, like the onus in the, in the operating room, falls on you when you're operating and I think it's quite it was quite interesting how he he, he kind of I mean he suggested that he almost entered a, med- a meditative state when he was operating and I kind of like uh, like like they call it being in flow but I think he I think he actually said it's more than being in flow if that ever is disrupted by something uh, either intraoperatively or outside of that you know it was just quite uh, interesting to see how he deals with that which was like taking a quick breath going back making a decision and kind of continuing with that yeah that was quite interesting to 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 hear him say you know essentially that he's so trained that actually rarely does he ever have more than just a quick pause you know it rarely ever is a shake is, is kind of what he is, is exactly what he said i think mm. yeah, it was interesting to see how he, he saw doing procedures as a being in the moment and it did sound very meditative from what he was saying about being in his procedures. And I remember from, uh, you know, when I was in theatres, when I thought about wanting to be a surgeon back in foundation programs in med school, that was one of the best parts of operating and, and doing procedures was you kind of very much lost yourself in the moment. Nothing else really mattered too much about what, except what was in front of you. And being able to suddenly adapt when those things, when those meditative moments become a bit disrupted by something unexpected happening. Thing is quite important what sort of feedback have you had from people who've watched it because one of the things i was very struck by is it isn't just about talking about changing things in the future he was literally by talking and the way that he was talking and his position his status actually pushes back against old ideas about how to be and not to be in terms of talking about emotional experiences and being able to share 
uh, feelings and thoughts without fearing judgment or criticism? I mean, what sort of feedback have you had from people? Uh, my, was yeah, I mean, so I mean, my my initial reaction after the the webinar ended was that you know that was really something special, and that was kind of almost revolutionary innovative you know for him to be speaking like that on such an open platform about his experiences and his kind of emotional and mental health and the other feedback that I've had kind of outside of my own thoughts is is congruent with that as that you know they said that he was an amazing storyteller they wanted to hear more uh and then it was just really uh nice to hear that uh, uh other people's journeys uh because I mean, this particular piece of feedback said that, you know, that you, you you do assume that you've all got to the same place through the same journey or everyone's just had an easy journey through to, to that place. And you realize actually probably most of us haven't. Yeah. And my, my, my initial reaction was um, he did it very well the way he just sort of opened himself up with the different stories and the different narratives that he had. They were all quite personal experiences. He didn't really shy away from any of those personal experiences um, and sharing them and how we how he felt at the time and how he dealt with them or how he's dealing with them. Um, and I thought that was really important to know that doesn't, things don't necessarily get any easier um, or, you know, you can still have the same confrontations and things as you go up for your career, but people cope and people manage and they, they find they develop. So I think he said he develops a survival toolkit, you know, in some in scenarios to, to deal or manage with things where he couldn't take himself out of that situation. I thought that was interesting. What, what did you think? Because he's the, I guess he was the, the doctor that was still in the NHS and had diff, different from different from the other webinars in some ways. Yeah, no, I thought he was a really good role model for um, how to be. I, th- I thought he was quite meek in his manner and, um, you know, clearly the experiences that he spoke about have shaped him or reinforced things. I, I was curious about his background culturally how it's influenced his way of being with things uh, dealing with things um, but I've, I've just got a very strong sense that his team would be very safe and inspired and mm. engaged by his manner he's clearly a person who really does believe in the team ethos I thought mm. actually that was one of the biggest things I took away from it was from from a sort of career training point of view was the importance of teams I don't know, he mentioned how teams have been built up in your hospital at the moment, especially during the COVID crisis. And that was something that I noticed um, in my own hospital during the COVID crisis was kind of going back into those old, more old fashioned teamwork where we were put into pod systems throughout the COVID rota. So you'd be with the same people on nights, the same people on your long days on different wards throughout the whole stretch of you know, was it two, three months they had the COVID rota going? So it really built up, uh, you, you, you came to really know each other, you came to really trust each other, you knew each other's strengths. And that um, whole team aspect is something that is kind of, is a little bit more diluted in, in medicine than it probably used to be in terms of the fact that you do rotate so quickly um, and you off, aren't often on the same, with the same people every day for weeks on ends or nights on ends it used to be it just highlighted the how much we rely on each other and um to you know get through difficult times and i thought that the team the team aspect of the coronavirus rota for us and it sounds like for a lot of hospitals like yours dan was um a really important way of helping people go for a stressful time and still cope and still work yeah. with does 
it does cardiothoracic surgery, it does heart transplants, it does lung transplants, it does very innovative surgery. And I think for that relies on a whole team of people, whole team of people. And I, and each one of those individual uh, roles and people within that team are crucial for any of those parts of that patient care to occur. And I think that that was uh, kind of solidified at Papworth during um, COVID. And I think, you know, for Mr. Kunar, like when I injured my hand, I'd worked uh, quite closely with Mr. Kunar and, you know, we regularly had team meetings, you know, morale was quite important. Like we're in situations which we weren't used to be in, you know, I was at a desk, Mr. Kunar was at home, other people were, you know, shielding, et cetera. And it was really important, but yet, you know, and, and so we had our own team, but we're playing, we're being part of a bigger team. Mr. Kuna, you know, was doing virtual clinics and stuff while his colleagues were being on call that could be in on call. And I think, you know, it's important to be part of a team and, and feel that you are part of that team. And obviously, like in times of crisis, you know, the way you get through them is by uh, uniting really uh, together as a team. That's definitely what happened at Powerth, and I'm sure it's what's happened at most hospitals. Yeah. It's happened at my hospital. It was, it was a really important part of it was the whole pod system, the whole team system. You got to know doctors very well, and it was, like you say, Dan, it's from people who you wouldn't have even normally been working on in the hospital, on, on, uh, on, the, on the wards. It was people who were doing like research jobs that were pulled back in to be medical registrars again, and it was a really interesting experience, and... Um, I thought the fact that uh, Kumar highlighted the importance of teams and how that helps people and helps build strong bonds and it, you know, is quite important to record. Thanks guys. Thanks so much for, uh, again, contributing to a really rich and interesting conversation. I think Mr. Kuna was an extremely good last speaker that sort of in sort of on the front line day in, day out, really encapsulated and articulated everything that the specialists, the experts have been talking about over the last two months. Uh, so thank you also for just uh, coming on and talking generally about your thoughts and feelings. That's also been very valuable and important as part of what UOK Doc is uh, promoting. So thank you. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks, C-Doc. That was the last webinar in our current series, which was on the emotional and mental health in the age of the virus. We're looking forward to bringing you a new series in the future. Um, in the meantime, we're going to continue with our podcast and we'll see you on the next Yard Pod.